0: If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to one John chapter three, one John chapter three, and we're going to read a, just a couple of verses here and dive in. I am really going to jump into this to see what the Lord has for us. I am excited about this this morning. One John chapter three and verse four. The scripture here says, "Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law." And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. And we know that verse 5 is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you know that He, Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him, in Christ, is no sin. Let's pray together. Uh, Our great God, we just bow our hearts before you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to meet here, to have the freedom that we do in this country, to be able to worship you freely, without uh, fear of really persecution. Uh, i pray god that you please help us as we study these things and lord for those who um, are traveling this week i pray that you bless and encourage them i pray for our pastor for laura for lydia and jake that you just continue to help them god to have a restful time away lord as uh, they make their way back and as things with this new auditorium with the building project begin to ramp up i just pray that you'd lead and guide him lead and guide our leaders our deacons Uh, these men continue to give them wisdom and and help, uh, God. We just commit that work to you. And ask and pray for your help with it, Lord. As we study the scriptures this morning, I ask for your help to communicate this well, um, to uh, to really give the emphasis where it's needed, which is on your on your word. And the uh, Lord, just pray for help this morning. And we ask this in your name, Amen. This morning, what I want us to look at is how we have sinned. We've committed transgression against God's law but that Jesus Christ has come to take away that sin. And so we're going to dive right into this and see what the Scripture teaches. Uh, First and foremost, the Scripture teaches that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. That Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. You see, what we're going to learn today, what we're going to look at is that because Jesus Christ is perfect and completely without sin, because he is that way, that's his character, that's his nature, and it has been from time and eternity past and will be through the future. Because Jesus Christ is sinless, he is the only one who could take away our sin. He's the only one who had no sin of his own to pay for. So uh, Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He was not just a good teacher. Um, I am Holdman said it this way. Jesus Christ did not come to make men moral. There are many churches across America today that will present a false Christ. They will present a Jesus Christ that came to make you a better person, that came to give you a better life. Jesus Christ, we see from the scriptures, came to take away our sin. Now, part of that will be that you have an abundant life, that you have eternal life. But Jesus Christ, first and foremost, came to take away our sin. So how did, uh, So with number one, Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. And the scripture declares this. First Timothy, chapter three and verse 16, and we have quite a few of these cross references in the handout for you. Again, I want to be able to cover a lot of Scripture that's the most important thing we'll look at, and so you've got that in your handout. First Timothy 3:16, the scripture says, "And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh." So what the scripture reveals to you and I this morning is that God is not a deity that's just out there in the universe somewhere that that created all of the earth and the heavens and and just got it going and then kicked it out there and just is letting it run by itself. No, God was manifested in the flesh. He took on the, uh, the nature of man without ceasing to be God. And without controversy, that's without controversy. That really is a great mystery. Hebrews ten five says it this way: Wherefore, when he, that's Christ, cometh into the world, he saith, "Sacrifice and offering wouldest thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me." And so, what we learn from this scripture is that Jesus Christ did not begin in a manger in Bethlehem. He has existed from eternity past, and God simply prepared him a body that he took on himself when he was born and laid in that manger. So Jesus Christ is God. He's God manifesting the flesh, and he took on a body he didn't begin in the manger. And then if you would look with me at Hebrews chapter 1. We're here in 1 John. If you look just a few books prior to that, you'll find the book of Hebrews, and it says in chapter 1, Something very specific here about Jesus Christ and about His incarnation. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 1 the scripture says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son whom He hath appointed heir of all things by whom also He made the worlds who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had By himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So we see that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He is the express image of God. And then Hebrews 2.16 says it very clearly there in the handout. For verily, truly, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. This is interesting. The Bible does describe how angels, they're real. But they have a different nature than we do. And the scripture declares in Psalms that man was made a little lower than the angels. And if you were, to, if we were to have an angel stand here next to me today, first of all, that'd be a really cool thing. That'd be kind of an interesting out-of-the-norm service. But if we had an angel stand next to me today, in the Bible, angels always appear as men. They always appear that way. But they are spiritual beings. The Bible says that uh, Jesus Christ has made, made his angels ministers. Uh, they're ministering spirits. And so they can take on themselves the form of a, of a human being. But they are. Uh, but, man, we're made a little lower than they are. They have certain abilities and uh, capabilities that we do not. And as you, if you go and look through the book of Revelation and, and see what some of the angels are doing, there is an angel that binds Satan and, and throws him into the bottomless pit. Uh, There is, um, throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, there was one angel that smote an army of 180,000, I think it was the Syrians. That's kind of a supernatural ability. And so Christ, he could have taken on himself the form of an angel, but that wouldn't have paid for man's sin. And we'll see here in a little while, why not? But God, the scripture says, he took on him, not the nature of an angel, but he went lower than that. And he took him on himself, the seed of Abraham. And so Jesus Christ, the scripture declares that God was manifested in the flesh. Number two, Jesus was manifested to take away our sin. So our passage there in 1 John says that you know he was manifested. He, it, it was clearly shown. It was clearly revealed. Uh, I'll say it this way. There's no doubt that Jesus Christ existed, right? When You, look, you can look at any history book and they'll, they'll tell you that Jesus Christ has ex- existed, What the scripture declares to us is that Jesus Christ is God. And he was manifested in the flesh. There is no doubt about that, that if you will approach the scripture uh, with an open mind and look at what it says about who Jesus Christ is, you will come away understanding that Jesus Christ is God. He was manifested in the flesh. Not only was he manifested in the flesh, he was manifested to take away our sin. He was manifested to take away our sin. Letter A, what is sin? What is sin? This is very interesting to me because I think I mentioned it last week. Uh, last month we had our booth set up for our church at the fair, and we had the opportunity to have people come by, and they'd, their children would spin a wheel, and uh, we could we were asking them some fun Bible questions. Uh, but the most important pe- question we asked people that week was simply this: Do you know what for one hundred percent? Are you one hundred percent sure that if you died today that you would go to heaven? And through that, we had many different types of conversations. Some people th- thought that they had the answer. Uh, some people had the answer, and they gave us a biblical answer for that. And other people had no idea. But I am, um, I, I, I guess I shouldn't be amazed. I, I'm continually coming across people in our culture that, that you can show them from the Bible, this verse, we are, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet, as you continue to give them the gospel, they do not believe that they are sinners. And I think it's because they don't understand what the definition of sin is. Because what you ask them is, do you believe that you're a sinner? What they hear is, have you ever gone to prison? Uh, You ask them, are you a sinner? What they hear is, have you ever murdered anyone? They're like, oh well, no, I've never done that. You know, how many of you in here you've never murdered anyone? <laughs> okay, a few hands that didn't go up there, Brent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what you don't know can't hurt you. Um, so let's see. Let's get a biblical understanding of what sin is. In our text, if you go back to 1 John chapter four, or sorry, 1 John chapter three, where we started, God gives us the definition of sin says this, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 4. The Bible says, whosoever, so that we know as a Bible word that includes anybody, right? Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. So what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. Now, here's what else i found. If I go out to the fair and I witness to somebody and I'm like, are you a sinner? And they're like, no. I was like, well, do you understand that sin is the transgression of the law? They're going to go, oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) So what does transgress mean? Well, transgress is to pass over or beyond any limit. You might think of trespass, and the Bible actually uses that word as well. Our trespasses and sins. What is it? There's a line and we've crossed over it. There is a line at which battery becomes felonious battery. There is a line at which felonious battery becomes homicide. You see, there are lines that once it's crossed, there, there are legal definitions for battery becoming homicide. It's when that person is deceased, right? And so transgress, transgression is when you pass over the Law, you pass over this limit. First uh, John, we 're here in First John. Look at what chapter five and verse seven says. Here's another uh, uh, sorry, verse seventeen. First John chapter five, verse 17. The Bible says, "All unrighteousness is sin." All unrighteousness is sin. So this is what it is. Jesus Christ came to take away our sins. What is sin? Sin is transgression of the law. Sin is any unrighteousness. Okay, so if sin is the transgression of the law, what law is it that has been transgressed? Do you see here how in 1 John he says, sin is the transgression of the law. So what law is that? Is that the law of the United... are, Are those... Some type of state law that we have in Ohio? Is that some type of law that we have within the United States? Is that a different law if you go to Argentina, if you're Brother Thornton? By the way, he's preaching for us next week. So Sunday morning, Sunday night, he'll be preaching. If you're in pastor's class Sunday morning, uh, come prepared to ask him questions about Argentina. He wants to answer your questions about that. But does, is it a different law when you're in Argentina? What is this law? Well, the scripture identifies this for us. If you go to James chapter 2. book right after Hebrews, kind of sandwiched between Hebrews and 1 John. James chapter 2 identifies for us that there is a, what that law is. So James chapter 2 and verse number 8 says this. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. Now, does something royal sound... Very high? Does that sound very elevated? That sounds very majestic. It sounds like it. Let me ask you this Does it sound like it has weight and authority? That's a royal law. It sounds like it's one that's been passed by royalty, which would lead us to realize it's been passed by a king. That's a royal law. And the scripture declares that there is a royal law. What is that royal law? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So he says, if you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So this is a fascinating passage to me. Because what Jesus Christ came to do is to take away our sin. My sin is the time that I have transgressed the law. What law is that? Well, the scripture says there is a royal law that has been ordained by God. And that's that all of us ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this royal law, because of the weight, because of the authority that it carries, it applies to every person in every country, in every culture, in every time period. It's a royal law. You could read this in Argentina and understand this is a law that's been set up by God, and you ought to obey it in Argentina. You ought to obey it in China. You ought to obey it in Switzerland. And you ought to obey it in the United States of America. It's a royal law. So, love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you this. Is that an unreasonable statement? Is there any culture where that would not be looked at as, well, that's something you ought to do to another human being. Treat them as you would yourself. It's interesting how God's kind of written that law in our hearts. We know that we ought to treat other people the way that we would want to be treated. You hear absolute reprobate. People say, well, I did that because he did this first to me. What what are they saying? Well, I had to treated him right if he had treated me right. (laughs) Yeah, you you hear people say that as they're in the squad car on the way down to the jail. (laughs) Well, it was him first, you know. What what do they understand? They understand, well, he didn't treat me right. So they understand there's some type of standard, right? Well, this standard, it's this royal law. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Let's make another point here. In verse 9, look at what this says, or verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law, verse 9. But if ye have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law's transgressors. So here's the deal I either fulfill this law or I transgress it. You see, those are our definitions. It, to, so to, trust, to transgress is to go past that point, to go beyond. And so he says, if you fulfill this law, you do good. If you don't, you're committing sin. You're transgressing. So there's only there are only two options. I am either fulfilling this law or I transgress it. There's no sort of kind of gray area. It's like uh, you guys are getting ready to go back to school, right? And probably very shortly, your teacher's going to ask you, did you hand in that paper? And you go... I kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> the dog ate the other half. <laughs> I really did the whole project. Right? Right, Jenna? Jenna's got a project she's got to work on today. That's awesome. <laughs> got to go back to school tomorrow. i got a project to do today. You don't tell your teacher, I s- kind of turned it in. I sort of did it. Well, what does that mean? You either did the project or you did not. We either fulfill the law or we transgress it. I either keep this law or... I offend it. Look at verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So, I, so keep this in your mind. You either fulfill the law by keeping it or you transgress the law and you offend in it by offending it. Let's go here to this point. If I offend in one point, I am guilty of all. I am guilty of all. If I offend in one point, look at verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said... Now, now, here's where he's starting to get specific. And we're going to get some more specifics in the next two passages that we look at. God has said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. God has said that. He told the nation of Israel to do that. And God is worthy of that love. He has also said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we go, what does that mean? How exactly, right? Have you ever had a, you, you teachers, have you ever had a student, all right, you start to lay out this project and they're like, well, how am I supposed to do that? And you go, well, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get on the computer. You're going to do the research. And then you're going to find out what in the world of bibliography is by looking at your textbook. And then you're going to fill out all the sources that you, and you explain to them specifically what they're going to be doing. How many of you teachers, you're ready for that. This week, it's coming, Right. None of the teachers are ready for that. How many of you teachers, you're ready to start explaining specifics to students? (laughs) Yeah, they ain't ready. All right. You got 24 hours. Actually, a little less than 24 hours. God gets very specific. All right. How ought you to love your neighbor yourself? Well, number one, um, do not commit adultery. All right. So if I love someone else, if I love another uh, human being as I love myself, I won't commit adultery with his wife. That's a fulfilling of the law. If if he says, "Do not kill," all right. So if I love another human being as myself, I am not going to murder that person. Now, and I understand, man, these are very basic things, uh, but we're laying a foundation. Could, because here is the problem: I go to the fair and I talk to people, and I am asking them about sin, and they don't think they're sinners. Why? Because they've not committed adultery and they've not killed someone. Well, look at what God says: For he that said, "Do not commit adultery," said also, "Do not kill." So here's our problem. And we live in a culture where, let's just take the Ten Commandments today. People think that they're okay if they score an eight out of ten. I mean, you guys, if you go to school and you have a test the following week, how many of you are going to feel pretty good if you get nine out of ten questions right? How many of you parents, you're going to just be thanking God that that's how many... That, no, no. Nine out of ten. Baseball. Let's go to baseball. It's baseball season, right? All right, Bob, what is a good batting average? All right, what's a good batting average on the Indians? (laughs) I don't know. Good batting average is a 300. Brent, how many times are you hitting the ball and getting on base if you're batting a 300 out of 10 times? Three. So you have a professional baseball player that gets on base three out of 10 times, and he gets paid a lot of money to do that. He got on base three out of ten times. And so what happens is we live in a culture where it's like, well I got two out of ten, i ain 't do i 'm better doing, you know, I 'm doing okay. We, people in our culture, look at the law of God as, here's a, sh- here's a smorgasbord. You guys remember Dales and Duffs there in Piqua? Hey, I've been alive for a while, all right? Uh, talk about me being mid-30s, but I remember Duffs. What was it first, Duffs or Dales? Duffs. I remember we used to go to Duffs, man, we just, that thing was spinning. you he's like, I want some of that, some of that, and then you go back up, it was, it was awesome. It was called a smorgasbord. Sounds like a good German word, smorgasbord. It's probably actually Belgian or something. But people look at God's law as this Schmorgsburger. Like, okay, I'll take some... Okay, I'll make sure I don't do that one, that one. Ooh, that's going by pretty fast. Uh, Make sure we don't do this and this. But God, His royal law... Is all of this stuff, do not, so you see how he says in verse 11, For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. See, the problem is not in specifically what you did, it's in that you transgressed the royal law. So that's the problem that the scripture is identifying for us. Now, um, look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse eight, the scripture says, "O no man, anything, but to love one another for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Do you see that terminology again? If you don't fulfill it, what have you done? You transgressed it. You've offended it. Well, if you love your neighbors yourself, you have fulfilled it for this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not all. Oh, now we're adding some stuff. See, we're going back to that royal law that God, does, that, that God laid out the specifics. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, this is interesting. Go with me and look at 1 Timothy. You see how God's getting, giving us some specifics He's giving us specific violations of this: love your neighbors yourself. And when you talk to people, give them the gospel. You, you could ask them, "We we don't do this in giving the gospel." You could say, "Do you love your neighbors yourself?" And they go, "Well, I try." So that's no. Or that is not you. Ha- you don't have a perfect record with that. A trying is not enough. Look at First Timothy, chapter one. We looked at uh, the later half of this chapter last Sunday. I thought it was interesting. Look at verse number eight. Um, so, First Timothy chapter one, verse eight. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for mans- for manslayers for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves of mankind, for men-stealers. So here's what's interesting. Now you start getting into a bunch of specifics, right? But here's what, we do, here's what we come across in our American culture, all right? I'm about to need some help with all of you sinners, okay? Now, I'm going to have them come up and stand on the platform, though they are representatives of this particular sin. It's not that I know that they've done this particular sin. All right, <laughs> so here we go. Um, so the, the law... That love thy neighbor as thyself thing, that's for th- these people. Uh, lawless, Aiden. All right, going up there, buddy. He's lawless, disobedient. Oh, look at where you're sitting. Okay, you go on up there. Uh, let's see what else we got. Ungodly, for sinners and for unholy. All right, you guys are up there. Oh, hey, Caleb. Um, profane. All right, there we go. Kenzie, murderers of fathers and mother, and murderers of mothers, going up there. Uh, maybe you too, Annika. All right, father, murder of father and mother. You going up there? Um, for manslayers, you're a manslayer, aren't you? <laughs> she slays him in the heart. Manslayers for uh, whoremongers. All right, uh, going up there, Isaac. And for them that defile themselves of mankind, Ben, you guys are brothers, you're right next to you there. Um, who else do we have? Uh, for men stealers. So a kidnapper, uh, Luke, you got the face of a kidnapper? <laughs> <laughs> we got mostly teenagers, right? not all of them. All right, so here's what we do. You're witnessing to somebody and you say, "For all of sin, and come short of the glory of God." And the, the people think these are the sinners. The murderers, the manslayers, the, the kidnappers. The pe- these people go to jail, right, for a lot of this stuff. But then, look at the next thing. For liars. For perjured persons. Do we have a Clinton in here this morning? I no. um, oh, told you I've been a alive for a while. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Do you see how if you looked at God's law and you looked at the specifics We were all good until we got to basically this part. And the rest of us, how many of you would raise your hand? I I could raise my hand and say, um, okay, now I belong up there on the platform with everybody else. Do you see why? Because we are convinced of the law as a transgressor. So who this morning has transgressed the law, the royal law, God's law? Yes, that's us, right? Thanks. You guys can all be seated. You guys, can all sit down? Making it kind of unholy up here. So, look at the law was not the law was made for us not to show us how we have fulfilled it, but to show us where we have offended it, and that's what he says that we use the law lawfully. Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter three, Romans chapter three, Romans chapter three, in verse number nineteen. The scripture here says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith. So what are, what are some things that the law has said? Well, God has said, uh, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not kill. Whatsoever things the law saith, don't bear false witness. That's where we got the liars up here, right? It saith to them who are under the law that people may find their own righteousness. Is that what it says? So that people can go to heaven. No, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. For by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So there will never be a person stand before God and say, um, God, I don't know why you have me here. Okay, there will never be someone that stands before God and says, God, I don't know why you're punishing me. He is going to ask them, have you loved your neighbor as yourself? And then he's going to open the books and they're going to be judged by their works. And they will, be, they, will have found, they will be found to have offended God's law. Now, here's another problem. Jesus Christ came to take away sin. Well, where is sin? I, now I know what sin is. It's a violation. It is a transgression of the law. It's the part where I did not keep it. Where is that? Well, it's in the heart of every man. It's in the heart of every man. Look with me, if you would, at Mark chapter 7. Have you ever worked at a job or maybe worked on a car or worked in the in the garden? You really got dirty, and it took a few times of washing your hands to really get all that, that away. Um, there were, uh, when I worked with uh, Brent and Wade for the city uh, in the summer years ago, worked with them on the street uh, painting crew. I was on the street painting crew, but what happened was there was a real bad storm that came through, uh, and the trash pickup got backed up, and so you know what my job became to hop on the back of a pickup truck and go around and pick up the grass that was like a month old that had been sitting out there it was It was nasty and can I tell you right on the back of a pickup truck you, you kind of like take extra special care when you take a shower that day mean it 's just amazing the way what what trash smells like. And I remember sitting there, and I knew it was actually—I I think I was still doing that when I was going to Bible college. And I just remember thinking, like so many illustrations, you know, that's what sin is in your life—it's just trash, and it's just—it's a dirty job. But somebody's got to do it. So there, are, there's are so much that we can wash away, but here's the problem with sin: we cannot wash it away because sin is in our heart. Look at Matthew, cha- Mark chapter seven, and look at verse eighteen. Mark seven eighteen. The Scripture says, and He saith unto them, Are you so without perceiving, without understanding? Also, do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats? And He said, That which cometh out of the man, that that defileth the man, for from within. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. Does that sound anything like the list that we've read before? Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Um, do you see how people are individually responsible for their transgression of God's law? It's from within. Look with me, if you would, at uh, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And as you're turning there, I gave you in your handout Psalm fifty-one, four. It says, "Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest." Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, Paul understood, or the the psalmist knew and understood there that it, that sin was in him and he was conceived in it. Romans seven, or Romans chapter seven and verse five. The scripture says. Uh, let's go to verse number, let's go to verse seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I be found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and commandment, and the commandment holy and just and good. You see, that you love your neighbor as yourself, that is a good, holy commandment. But if I have to do that perfectly in order to gain access to heaven in the presence of God, that's not a law that's unto life. I find that to be a law that's unto death, because I haven't kept it. Verse 13, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that, I am, that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now look at what he says in verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth, where? In me. Look at verse 20. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth, where? See, sin is in me. That's why I needed someone to come who was perfect and sinless that could take that away. In our handout here, if it's in me, I cannot wash it away. It lies deeper than being within every cell. It's within my heart. That's why Paul says, look at verse 24 in the same chapter, Romans 7, 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this bo- the body of this death? Paul knew that sin was in him. And he's saying, who can deliver me from this? And we see the answer in verse 25 is Jesus Christ. So what is sin? It's where I have transgressed the royal law. And I've sinned against God and against my fellow man. That sin, it dwells in me. But Jesus Christ came to take away that sin. And number three, Jesus Christ can do that. Jesus Christ has no sin in him. Jesus Christ has no sin in him. Letter eight, Jesus Christ is the only one born without sin. And this is where I really want us to just look at how awesome our Savior is. Because the Bible says that God, God knows the secrets of our heart. And if we were to play on a projector, you know, fall kickoffs coming, we're going to do skits. If we were to say, you know, this really isn't a skit. Actually, we filmed Denver and we filmed his thoughts the last two weeks and what he thought as he went about. As If we played that, would would you be hoping that that would be a skit? Yeah. Now, this isn't a skit. It, it, God knows the secrets of our heart. But when you look at our Savior, there, there's nothing to hide. There were no secret sins in His heart. And so let's look at the, our Savior. He was, he's the only one born without sin. Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Ghost and born of a virgin. Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as His mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Liberals within Christianity will fight the Bible on on not only the deity of Jesus Christ, but the virgin-born Son of God. That Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Here's the problem. If Jesus was not virgin-born, then he was born just like you and I, And he has the same plight that we do. David here shows the plight of every man born. Psalm 51 4. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, every man, woman, boy, and girl, everyone who has ever lived that has been born, has been born with a sin problem, except for Jesus Christ. Because he was born of a virgin, he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. We have a miraculous Savior savior who was born of a virgin. Then, letter B, Jesus overcame every temptation ever hurled his way. He overcame every temptation with a, it is written. And you can look for yourself later at Luke chapter 4. The devil himself came at him. Um, I I love what uh, this Octavius Winslow, first of all, it's just a cool name, but he's an old Baptist, and he said this, Christ was tempted of the devil. He was confronted with the head, the apostle, the chief of the hierarchy of hell. Our temptations from Satan often flow from indirect sources, from sin within or incentives without. Our lords were direct from Satan. And Jesus overcame every temptation thrown at him with, It is written. It is written. It is written. That's how he overcame it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get victory that way. Because I remember to think about this scripture, the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps me to be mindful of that. Other times, I forget what was written. And and I do what I want, and I offend God. Jesus Christ overcame every temptation that was hurled His way. As you can see that in Luke chapter 4. How does the Bible, how does the scripture describe our Savior? And here are some scriptural terms that the Word of God gives us when you think about the sinlessness of Christ. So uh, think about these. First of all, Jesus Christ is without sin. There was there was nowhere to look to, to see it. First Peter chapter two, verse twenty two says, Who did no sin? Speaking of Christ. Neither was Guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But he being touched with the feeling of our infirmities, was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Uh, Isaiah 53 says there that he, com- he uh, committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, that he had no sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. John 8, says, that Jesus Christ said this to uh, the Pharisees. He said, Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you believe not on me? So he was without sin. He was without blemish and without spot. First Peter one nineteen, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hebrews nine fourteen says, "How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God?" Have you ever purchased a new piece of clothing or a new pair of shoes and you get home and you just didn't check and there's like a hole in the back or there's a spot? How many of you that's ever happened to you? Yeah. Jesus Christ, when you examine his life, there's no spot, there's no blemish, there's no wrinkle of sin. None, nothing. He's also without fault. Uh, without fault, John eighteen thirty eight. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. You ever been in a situation where you had to tell somebody, that was my fault? If you're a teenager, you go, "Oh, my bad, my bad." If you're on a pro sports team, I saw it this week. I saw a preseason. Uh, James Winston threw an interception in the end zone. You know, he's getting tackled, and he goes, "I'm like, come on, man, I could have done that for 800 grand a, a, a game." Gee, come on, man. And he's, well, what did he do? He came off. He goes like, "It's <laughs> just my bad, my fault." Jesus Christ could never say, "My bad." He can never say, "That's my fault." He was without fault in Pilate. Think about the resources available to Pilate to try to find fault in him. He had a lot of weight. He had a lot of, thor- of authority. They could have had a private investigator. But he, they found in him no fault at all. The scripture says that Christ, he was having, having nothing, done nothing amiss. Here, this is when the, the thieves, they're there on the cross. And it says, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. There's a man who on the cross realized he had transgressed the royal law. He was a malefactor. He had, he had violated and had not loved his neighbor at all times and had stolen. And was a malefactor. But he, when he looked at Christ... He knew that that was a a just man. And the scripture records for us, this man hath done nothing amiss. How many of you wives, you've ever had your husbands go hunting? They ever come back and say, you should have seen the big one that got away. What happened? I let the arrow go and it just... just, What did it do? It went amiss. It went off target. Jesus Christ... Fulfilled God's law in every point. The Bible says that he was without knowledge of sin. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ knew no sin. He didn't know what it was like to sin. Because he always obeyed the Father. He needs The next point, he needs no sacrifice for his own sin because he is holy, harmless, undefiled. Look at what the verse says, Hebrews 7. Wherefore, he, Christ, is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. When you examine Jesus' life, He always did what was right. He always loved his neighbor as himself. He always loved God with all his heart, with all his soul. He was always in harmony with God and God's holiness. He was separate from sinners. But he became us. Verse 27, "...who needeth not daily as those priests, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once, when he offered up himself." You look at the high priests in the Old Testament, the men that were supposed to be men of God, and you know what you would find? Fault, transgression, a need for them to offer for their own sins, then for the people's. When you see Jesus Christ, he, he, was, he never had to offer up sin, uh, sacrifice for himself. And then not only that, you know, Jesus could have done everything right on the outside, But it was all, everything that he did on the outside was a perfect reflection of what was in his heart. Remember, we looked in Mark 7. Jesus said that out of the heart, that's where man's defiled. Because out of the heart proceeds these evil things. What was in Jesus' heart? Well, Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. God's royal law, that's what was in Christ's heart. And he fulfilled it every step of the way. So as you look at our text, and you can just look at the front of the handout there, in First John chapter 3, the scripture says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that He was manifested. Man, I'm glad this morning that Jesus Christ did not just stay in heaven, but that God became a man, and that when He did that, He obeyed the royal law in every point. And the scripture says he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. This week, you can go to work knowing that you serve a perfect Savior. You guys, as you start back to school, you can know that you are serving not only the creator of the heavens, but a God who through all eternity has never one time sinned, made the wrong decision, been at fault. So when you follow his plan for your life, you are following somebody that has batted ten for ten. You are following someone that always does what 's right and is for his glory and is for your best that 's who you're following this week, and I hope that that 's more motivation to serve him faithfully and This morning, you may be a, you, you may have you may be going through life thinking that you 're not a sinner because you 've never been in prison you 've never done this you 've never done that. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if Jesus Christ, if you've never placed your faith and trust in him alone for your salvation, then you will split hell wide open. But we sang the song this morning. And I love the doctrine of that hymn. Jesus came to save the hell bound man. Jesus said it this way. Remember, he said, the, the, the whole need, they don't need a physician. Who needs, who needs a physician? Who needs to go to the doctor? It's sick people. If you're righteous before God, well, Jesus didn't die for you. But you know what the law says? You're not righteous before God. So Jesus did die for you to take away your sins. And if Christ has taken away your sins, they're as far as the east is from the west. They've been removed. They're gone. And we have a perfect Savior that's done that for us. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to examine the Scripture this morning.